Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Josh, it's Luke. Hey, what's up, bud? Hey, man. So 30 years ago this week, who won the NBA Finals? 30 years ago. That would be 90. Wouldn't that be the bad boys of the Detroit Pistons? That's right. Do you know who they were playing? I want to say the Lakers. No, the Trailblazers. That's what I was going to say. Kevin Duckworth, Terry Porter, Jerome Kersey, all that group. What was it about those Pistons that you loved so much? Honestly, I love their attitude, their toughness. I like the way they played the game. I mean, I'm pretty sure every dirty move that I learned, I learned from watching those teams. Yeah, you had a lot of those moves. <laughs> that also is true. All right, question. Are you going to attend 30 Pop Trivia now that it's available online? Oh, I didn't know it was available online. That's awesome. Heck yeah, I'm in. Yes, June 24th. Chris and I will clean up. Back to the Future Trivia. So all the movies are on Netflix. <sighs> you might want to brush up. On Back to the Future? Back to the Future. We've already watched the first two in the last week and a half. <laughs> All right, man. Well, register at 30pop.com, and I can't wait for you to be a part of Perfect. Dude, we're going to dominate y'all. All those Houston teams have been killing it. They're not going to be able to do that anymore. Oh, man. I am so glad we've got some real trash talk coming into the game now. You're bringing in the players. so Perfect. All right, man. Well, I look forward to having you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. We'll see you. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 2, Episode 24, Big Bold Colors and an All-Star Cast. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, June 16, 1990. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of 30 Pop. We are rapidly approaching the halfway point of 2020 and our coverage of the year 1990, believe it or not. Here's hoping the second half of this year is every bit as calm as the first half has been crazy. As it stands now, though, I don't really see how that's possible as we are still in the middle of an election year. So as we do each week, how about we leave the craziness of this year behind for just a few minutes and reminisce together on what the world looked like 30 years ago, at least as it relates to pop culture. For a change of pace, and since we already opened the episode this way, we'll start with sports. 30 years ago this week on June 11, 1990, Hall of Fame pitcher Nolan Ryan, at the tender age of 43, pitched the sixth no-hitter of his career. 17 years after his first one, nine years after his most recent one, and 11 months prior to his final one. He did so pitching for the Texas Rangers against the world champion Oakland A's, and as I remember it, it was a very big deal, even as a kid who could not have cared less about baseball. As I've mentioned before, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, about 25 minutes away from Arlington Stadium, the Rangers' then home field. So Nolan Ryan was basically a superhero in the eyes of most of the people I knew, not least of all to my dad and older brother. It is truly remarkable to think about the exceptional talent that man possessed, even well into his 40s, to not only compete, but continue to dominate Major League Baseball. 
And believe it or not, we still have plenty of Nolan Ryan career highlights ahead of us over the next few years. Also in sports this week in 1990, as I mentioned in the opening call, the Detroit Pistons defeated the Portland Trailblazers in a five-game series to win the NBA Finals for the second year in a row. That was the first NBA Finals series since 1979 that did not involve either the Los Angeles Lakers or the Boston Celtics, and was one of only two finals in the entire decade of the 90s that was not won by either the Chicago Bulls or the Houston Rockets. It was also memorable in that its final game on June 14, 1990 marked the end of a 17-year relationship between the NBA and CBS as the league moved to NBC, where they would remain until 2002, spanning the entirety of what I believe to be the greatest decade in basketball history. In music history this week in 1990, as I mentioned on last week's episode, we had now fully entered into the era of MC Hammer whose album Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him was at the top of the Billboard 200 chart for the second of 21 weeks. Ice Cube still had the number one rap song in the country with America's Most Wanted, and George Strait still had the top country song with his single Love Without End, Amen. The hot R&B and hip-hop charts had a new number one song, though, in Quincy Jones's Tomorrow, A Better You, A Better Me, featuring then 12-year-old Tevin Campbell on lead vocals in his musical debut. Campbell would go on to major, major success over the next few years, as would the album that featured that single, Jones's Back on the Block, which won the Grammy for Album of the Year in 1991. The top single on the Billboard Hot 100 chart 30 years ago this week was Roxette's It Must Have Been Love from the Pretty Woman soundtrack. Interestingly, the version of this song that most of us know and that was topping the chart 30 years ago is actually the second of four versions of the song. The original had released a few years earlier, under the same title but with the added parenthetical, Christmas for the Brokenhearted. When the band was invited to contribute to the Pretty Woman soundtrack, they re-recorded the song, removing all the Christmas references, and it became one of the biggest hits of their career, defying all logic to my Christmas music-loving brain. As good as the song is, I can't even begin to imagine how much better it would be with a few Santa references scattered about. But whatever, good for them, I guess. In movie news, we had a couple of big releases on June 15, 1990, one being the sequel to the 1984 horror comedy Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, starring Zach Galligan and Phoebe Cates. This movie didn't make nearly the splash of its predecessor, but I do remember both fondly. The other movie that debuted on June 15th and that was the top earner at the box office this week in 1990 was the Warren Beatty-directed and starred-in film adaptation of the 1930s comic strip by the same name, Dick Tracy. I was a big fan of this movie, as was my friend and faithful 30-pop listener, Derek Lord. So we hopped on a call this week to reminisce in a segment that we call Film Depreciation. Derek, welcome to 30 Pop. So great to have you on for the very first time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you reached out to me, I want to say like six months ago and said, hey, Dick Tracy's coming up in 1990. I want to be on that episode. Tell me about your history with this movie. So it's the the summer of 1990. I'm uh, seven years old. Dick Tracy is everywhere. They got the toys out, the video game. The advertisements are everywhere. Um, there's the McDonald's tie-in, you know, which was a big deal. 
so yeah, I went to see the movie with my parents and I just loved it. And that was it for me. I didn't get the video game or the action figures, but I do remember that I got a Dick Tracy beach towel and a lunchbox for school the next year. Nice. So I don't remember a McDonald's connection. What was the McDonald's connection? Oh, you, they just had like the advertisements there, I think, you know, so the commercials on TV and they had their stores kind of decorated. I don't remember if they were doing like the Happy Meal thing with it too, but it was definitely tied in together. So I remember loving this movie also as a kid, but I, I really, I hadn't seen it. I mean, probably in 30 years. I'd probably saw it once or twice as a kid, loved it, but I don't ever remember going back to it. And so when we were getting ready to do this episode, I went back and I watched it. Thankfully, it went on sale on like <laughs> Apple TV or whatever this week because I was not about to pay $18 for this movie that I expected to be terrible, if I'm totally right. honest. I watched the trailer and I was like, that looks awful. Uh, it'll be nostalgic, but it's going to be awful. And then I watched it and I loved it. <laughs> Like, like I still <laughs> love the movie. It's so good. And it, and it's funny because what I did not realize as a kid, because I was too young to know any of these actors, is the cast of this movie is, like, it's one of the most stacked casts I've ever seen, certainly from 1990. I mean, we got Madonna, we've got Al Pacino, Warren Beatty, Dustin Hoffman. I mean, like, huge, huge names. And then tons of actors who, like, I recognize... But I mean, I probably still don't know him by name, but like it was just such an unbelievable cast. Yeah, I, I just watched it, you know, the other night and I was realizing for the first time some of the people that were in it that I didn't know were in it before. Like I was looking at the credits afterwards and Kathy Bates plays like a stenographer that's just in there for like. That was Kathy uh, Bates? A, a, yeah, that, that's Kathy Bates who, you know, was huge at the time was yeah. about to you know win an oscar that year when they're having the big meeting when you know big boy is talking to all the other mob leaders at the end of the table is james con yeah I, so i noticed james con i'm looking <laughs> yeah. at imdb right now Catherine o'hara was in it i don't even remember seeing her yeah so we saw that too and she doesn't even like have a line she's just like sitting there and has kind of like a veil on her face so you can't i don't think you could even I've never noticed that she was in it. It's unbelievable. Dick Van Dyke was in it. Yeah. I mean, just huge, huge names. So what that made me feel when I was watching it this time was like, my guess, knowing that this was directed also by Warren Beatty, is that he probably grew up with the comic strip. And when he was old enough and rich enough and powerful enough to sort of live out the fantasy of Dick Tracy, that's what he did. And so he just got his friends as a favor to come and be a part of what honestly otherwise could have been a really ridiculous movie. But I mean, it wound up being nominated for like seven Oscars and I think it won three of yes. them. Like, yes, I just, I couldn't believe it. When I watched the trailer, I thought, man, this looks so much like Roger Rabbit, which was huge <laughs> a year or two earlier. And it yeah. just looked like it was going to feel like such a ripoff. But really what he did was produce this incredible sort of film noir style movie with big, bright, bold colors, which I don't know that that had really been done in this way before Dick Tracy. Right. Something I read was that from the stages in uh, pre-production, Warren Beatty was like, I want to use a very limited color palette for the movie. You know, I want to use the colors that 
would make you think of the comic strip. You know, I want it to very much feel like visually like the comic strip would, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just so well done. I also read where, so one of the things I noticed, I'll say this first. One of the things I noticed is there are scenes in the movie that feel, I mean, 100% like they were stolen from 1989's Batman. (laughs) Yes. There really are. So there's a scene where like he's jumping down off this roof on a fire escape or something. And it's like, it feels identical to a specific shot of Michael Keaton's Batman. Yeah. And then I was reading earlier how he hired Danny Elfman to do the music because of his work in Batman. It's just so funny to me. I mean, he clearly was so inspired by that movie, which... I mean, Batman had just come out in July the year before, so they had to have produced this pretty quickly after that. Right, yeah. I didn't notice a lot of the similarities. I thought the music that Danny Elfman does for Dick Tracy sounds like the Batman you know, soundtrack in uh, different places, too. Really, really does. Yeah, from what I read, the success of Batman did have a big impact on uh, what happened with Dick Tracy. Like, Disney, who made it, like they saw the success that Batman had with its, you know, all out media promotion the year before. And they were like, we want, you know, we want our own Batman. So we're going to do that with this Dick Tracy movie. You know, it didn't work out as well for them as Batman did, but that's what they were aiming for. Well, the other thing that jumped out at me from this movie was Charlie Cosmo. So that he plays the kid. Yeah. And I mean, this kid was in like so many huge movies and just like really, really killer roles in the early 90s. Yeah, he had Dick Tracy, uh, Hook, and uh, What About Bob? He was like, you know, bam, 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 three in a row. Yeah, and then basically stopped acting altogether. He's like a law professor in somewhere. I mean, he's... (laughs) I really thought his performance in this movie was spectacular. Like, it's so, so good. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking now at his IMDb, and this was only his second. I mean, he's got eight acting credits. <laughs> one was in 2018, one was in 98, and then the rest, all the others were 1990 and 1991. I just think that's remarkable. Yeah, yeah he did those three movies, and then there was Can't Hardly Wait in 98. Mm-hmm. One of the things that struck me about his performance in this is he's actually, in a lot of ways, he's like the toughest character in the whole movie, you know, and he's like an eight-year-old kid, nine-year-old kid. Yeah. But like he's completely fearless. He's all about the adventure of being with this detective and, you know, chasing these bad guys, even when they've got Tommy guns and the whole deal. He's just, he's a tough kid, man. Yeah. And I kept wondering, like, how is nobody noticing him jump on the back of these cars? Yeah. The other thing that that I noticed in the film is Dick Tracy's kind of an anti-hero, you know? He's like a dirty cop. Yeah, he's going to arrest you and then try to find the evidence. Yeah, anyway. You know, stuff that I still loved, like watching it now, was just the look of the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the sets, the costumes, all the makeup just, you know, still looks great to this day. And... Of course, the soundtrack, you know, you got Madonna working with uh, Stephen Sondheim and, you know, just all the music for it is is just great. And that definitely still holds up. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the IMDb trivia for it now. There's some pretty fun stuff in here. So it says producers lobbied for former President Ronald Reagan to play the role of prune face. But Warren Beatty next to Can you imagine? That, uh, I wonder if that's true. He had been that's out of office for like two years 
at this point. That's that's funny. Also considered for the role of the kid was Macaulay Culkin, but he turned it down to do Home Alone. And thank God he did. Yeah, that was a good call on his <laughs> on his part. I mean, it could have, you know, it would have been good either way there. So Warren Beatty wound up directing it, but he originally wanted Tim Burton to do it, which I think would have been amazing, although it would have felt even more like Batman. But he declined because he was working on Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, I read a quote from him that said when he was thinking about directors, he was like, maybe I could get Martin Scorsese to do it, Mm -hmm. which I thought was just funny, just like, you know, off the offhand, you know, maybe I could get Martin Scorsese to direct this Dick Tracy movie. Yeah, so yeah, I'm reading that right here. It says he originally wanted Bob Fosse to direct, but Fosse turned him down. Martin Scorsese was also a fan of the comic strip and considered directing at one point, but he lost interest and chose to make Goodfellas. The other thing that's really funny about Beatty directing, it says that Gene Hackman turned down the role of Lips Manless because he couldn't bear being directed by Warren Beatty again after his experience on a movie called Reds in 1981, which I've never heard of. So I think that's pretty funny. But that being said, I think Beatty did a great job. I mean, like, I am shocked that I loved this movie as a 40-year-old, probably more than I did as a 10-year-old. And I really loved it as a kid. But, like, just seeing some of these actors, and maybe at that time we didn't realize quite how huge or beloved some of these actors would be, but yeah, have had, you know, 30 more years to fall in love with their work looking at this movie and seeing them play this these really pretty silly roles yeah man it just it holds up i love it so yeah well man i certainly appreciate you coming on it's always fun to talk to somebody who is a fellow fan of these nostalgic things but also who is a fan of the show you are one of the most faithful listeners that we have for this show and i appreciate it i've got to get you to start calling in though because you text me every week some sort of response to the show <laughs> and i need you to just leave that on the answering machine so i can post it for all to hear but okay yeah i'll, I'll have to start working on that but yeah i have been you know a uh, very long time fan of the show well i certainly appreciate it glad to be on it yeah man we'll have you on again so thanks so much and we'll see you next time all right thank you Huge thanks to Derek for taking some time to chat this week. I look forward to having him back on soon. You know what else I look forward to? Relaunching 30 Pop Trivia Night after months of COVID-19 shutdowns. Just a reminder that 30 Pop Trivia Night returns on June 24th at House of Blues in Houston or online for those of you outside of Houston who want to play along. The theme for the night, which I could not be more excited about, is, once again, Back to the Future. You can register online at 30pop.com. If you plan to attend at House of Blues, rest assured that the event will be super social distancing friendly. In the meantime, if you need some more retro pop culture nostalgia to reminisce on, as always, be sure to check out the 30 Pop Mixtape playlist on Apple Music and Spotify, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group podcasts, as well as just early access to our next Trivia Night theme, just click on the Patreon link in the show notes and partner with me for as little as a dollar a month. That's it for today, friends. Thank you, as always, for subscribing, listening, rating, and reviewing this show. Until next week, just know, I'm going to miss you, but all's fair in love and business. Benjamin Franklin. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. 
To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>